Yes, and the reading is uh, Matthew 22, starting at verse 23. And in the Ride Bibles that most people have, that's on page 991. And hopefully other versions and languages, uh, pages will be uh, on the screen for that. So Matthew 22, starting at verse 23. That same day, the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses told us that if a man dies without having children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up the offspring for him. Now there were seven brothers among us. The first one married and died, and since he had no children, he left his wife to his brother. The same thing happened to the second and the third brother, right on down to the seventh Finally, the woman died. Now then, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be of the seven, since all of them were married to her? Jesus replied, you are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like angels in heaven. But about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. When the, how, when the crowds heard this teaching, when the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Dennis, very much indeed. Let's, uh, let's pray, and uh, we'll, we'll have a look at that passage together. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would just, I guess, expand our vision of your Son and of our place uh, in this world and in the next. In Jesus' name, Amen. Now, let's. Um, can we start uh, with a with a quick question? I'm kind of going to get you just to chat with your neighbour for a second. Um, it's a bit of a strange question. If someone asked you to describe the next world, the afterlife, however you want to phrase it, someone said to you. Can you describe it? What would you say? Um, turn to somebody nearby. You may not have a, an answer to give. You may say, I don't know. But you may have something to say. What would you say if someone said, what do you think the next world, the afterlife is like? Uh, whatever word you would use. Turn to somebody nearby for about 30 seconds and just uh, uh, give, me, give, give us one other some thoughts. What would you say? Okay, it was just a quick, a quick thought with a neighbour. I don't know what you said. Maybe you said it's a world in which the clocks don't go forward. Um, I don't know. But it's not an easy, necessarily an easy thing to answer, but it gets to the heart of what's going on here because what you think 
is going on in the next world is at the heart of this exchange between the Sadducees and Jesus. Let me just give you a little bit of context to orient you where, where we are. We're in a, in a section, we've been working through Matthew's Gospel, and in this section, of which we're dipping in today here, we're between two parts of Jesus' teaching. Steve taught us last week about Jesus' teaching in chapter 18 on forgiveness. We're going to think um, in a, next week about Jesus' teaching on, uh, more on the end of things, the end days, if you like. Uh, but in the middle here, we've got a section where the, the sort of gap between those who are for Jesus and against him is getting wider, and it's exposed over things like this, what you think is going on in the next world, the afterlife. It's a gap, it's growing, people are getting more opposed to Jesus or more for him, if you like. That's where Matthew has us, and that's what he wants to talk about. And we start with this little sequence, which is really quite rare and quite valuable, if you have thought about it for a moment. We have here a non-religious parable, if you like. The Sadducees, a little story that they tell. Uh, You might use the word secular. The Sadducees were those who at the time did not believe in the resurrection. You see, we're told that in verse 23. They didn't believe that there was a resurrection. They didn't believe there was an afterlife, a next world. This is all that we have. So their story, if you like, is a a non-religious one, a secular one. It's a little parable. And in fact, it's really quite rare, quite valuable to see what's going on. And and let's have a look at it just now. If I read... um, those verses again. That same day, the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to Jesus with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses told us that if a man dies without having children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for him. Now, there were seven brothers among us. The first one married and died, and since he had no children, he left his wife to his brother. The same thing happened to the second and the third brother, right on down to the seventh. Finally, the woman died. Now then, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be of the seven, since all of them were married to her? Now, you can hear, can't you? It's a slightly sort of mocking story. It's a slightly mocking tone. Um, but just look at what's going on underneath for a moment. Here is a, here is a small a, a story, a parable, if you like, perhaps from a secular perspective, and look at what's, what's the experience of this woman. If you actually just put yourself in her shoes for a moment, married to a man, uh, not able to have children, he died, as was the custom, then marries uh, the next, uh, the brother, uh, he dies, uh, so on to the third, and he dies, the fourth, the fifth, the sixth, the seventh. Uh, no children along the way. You see, it's a story actually of repeated loss and tragedy. Can you see that? Despite the sort of slightly mocking tone, the experience of her, the experience of the men involved, it's repeated loss, tragedy. What's the assumption going on here? The assumption is this. In this little parable, the message is, look, the world is a mess. The world is difficult. This is all that we have, and it is hard. And if you like, the the sort of underlying assumption to this little story they bring to Jesus is that the afterlife, well, it's only going to be the same as this messy, broken life that we have. And in fact, probably, it's only going to compound or make it worse. 
because there she is, she arrives in the afterlife and she has seven men with whom she has had these relationships and it's only, it's only going to make things worse, isn't it? How are you going to live now? The tragedy that you've had, the confused feelings, the different men and how they were, the relationships you had and now you have to face all seven. Are you supposed to pick one? The Underneath that mocking tone is therefore this assumption that, of course, the afterlife is therefore completely unbelievable. It's unsustainable. It's just going to be a continuation of what we have now, which is a mess, probably just going to make things worse. And if you think about it for a moment, there will be other situations where this would apply, where you might say other situations where if you arrived at the afterlife and you'd say to yourself, well, what good would it be to have to face that person? Perhaps it was somebody who had caused you great difficulty uh, or trauma or harm in this life. What good is it going to do me to then have to face them? Or perhaps where the complexity of life here now, again, to, to rock up to the afterlife, what good would it do to have to somehow resolve that? Uh, perhaps a situation with a, a family member with whom you have nothing to do now. Is it actually going to do us all any good to have to sort of reconvene in some grand reunion? What's that actually going to be like? Do you see the assumption that's going on underneath the surface with this parable? It's kind of mocking, it's kind of snide, but actually the situation is one that's very sad, and it's kind of saying, this life is a mess, and there's really nothing more that the next world is going to be able to do about it, and therefore, of course, it's unbelievable. How is the next world going to improve anything at all? In steps Jesus. He gives us two responses. Um, He answers with two um, short uh, kind of phrases um, that we'll have a look at. He says in verse 29, you are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. So firstly the scriptures and secondly the power of God. He then talks about them in reverse order. I have no idea why, but he does. He is Jesus, he is allowed to. Um, So he goes for the power of God first. And that comes um, uh, into verse 30. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. Okay, so he is trying to talk about the next world. And he wants to talk about it firstly, the power of God. He is saying something better is coming. Something better is coming. Something different is coming. Now, we're going to try and um, kind of illustrate this and understand this through the medium of Black Panther. Because that's where you naturally would go for this. Um, uh, Black Panther, if you don't know it, is, a, is a, the more recent-ish, last year or so, of the, uh, of the Marvel films. Black Panther attempts to do something quite interesting, and it's doing something that Jesus is kind of gesturing at here. The story of Black Panther, if you don't know it, assumes that the world that we have, particularly for those who are black or people of colour, is a world of struggle and difficulty. An ongoing history of difficulty um, of sometimes of repression or oppression and, and struggle. And remarkably, it's one of the kind of rare attempts where you, you come across this. It tries to say, okay, that is the, the sort of founding assumption, but what if, what if you could imagine a place where that was turned on its head? What if you could imagine a place where those who are black and people of color are actually in a remarkably different and better place? where they are, as we'll, uh, we'll see in just a second, they, are, uh, they have 
a, a measure of freedom and power that they don't have, that they have intelligence. They have, uh, as we'll, we'll see in just a second. Let's, I've got a short clip for you which will illustrate the place. It's built around a place called Wakanda, which is this uh, kind of this place that they, uh, that they inhabit that no one knows about. Um, it's also got a short interview, just a couple of phrases, from um, uh, those who played uh, the, the main characters and speaking of why this spoke so much to, um, to, to different people. Okay, here we go. I have seen gods fly. I've seen men build weapons that I couldn't even imagine. Uh-huh. I've seen aliens drop from the sky. Yeah. But I have never seen anything like this. How much more are you hiding? Hold up. Let's go, go, go. This is Wakanda, we are home. a fictional country nestled in eastern Africa where the landscape is lush. Its capital, a postmodern metropolis. And everyone is black. Black Panther, the latest heart-pounding movie by Marvel. With its all-star cast and multi-million dollar budget, it's already breaking records. This video of Atlanta students dancing joyfully when they were told they'd be going to see the movie going viral. The first answer is that it's unexplainable. Um, the, the second answer is, is that there, there's obviously a thirst for something. What's the thirst, you think? People are starved for the images that, that they see. They spectacle. see power, right. spectacle, uh, intelligence. Um, achievement. People can see not just themselves, but their dreams. They see their dreams. It's aspirational. Wakanda forever indeed, right? Like, if we could just get Wakanda to current life and how we live, it would be an amazing thing. Okay. Now, what they're doing, do you see? They're saying, in a sense, there is... The, the picture of the world as it is, is one of difficulty and struggle. Can you imagine a place, a place called Wakanda, where the reverse of that is true? It's an incredibly difficult thing to kind of get your heads out of our own world and how it works, where before we've only known this, can we imagine something that is a category difference? It just works in a completely different way. Now, Jesus, when he says, at the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. Now, he gives you this kind of teaser, this, this taste almost of something different. And he doesn't fill out any details whatsoever, um, which is, you know, wonderful for a preacher. So he, he kind of throws it out there and explains almost nothing about it. He gives you no detail, all the questions that we'd want to ask. But he is saying, can you see, there is, he's almost trying to say there is this radically different world, a world almost like Wakanda, where somehow the complexities and the difficulties that we face in this life melt away. Wakanda in the film is a place not where blackness no longer matters, but where people of colour occupy a greater place 
than is imaginable in their current human history. And the resurrection that Jesus pictures and points to, it's not a place where suddenly love and relationships don't matter anymore, but it's where relationships work in a better way than they do in our current fallen history. You see, he's trying to say there is a category difference. There is somewhere where that is far, far better coming. And it is hard, I admit, it is hard, I think, to try and get out. It's partly why I kind of wanted to throw this out at you, because it's very hard to get across something which is so different. And the, the, the reason the film, I guess, has resonated with so many people is because it is actually envisaging and imagining. He described it, didn't he? There is a thirst for that kind of, uh, um, imagining that kind of world. There is a thirst for it. And we have, in the, when you look at the story the Sadducees give us, actually it speaks of the thirst we have for relationships that don't break down in those ways, that aren't marred by human sin and suffering. And Jesus says there is something better. And then he says, can you hear the whispers of it? Can you hear the whispers of it? Moving on, as quickly as he's raised the topic, he then says, but about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. Now this is, to be fair, if you're like, well, if you're anything like me, you read this. So he's trying to make a case for the resurrection. He says, okay, I'm going to give you a Bible verse for it. And do you not read that and think, Jesus, that does not help me a lot. I don't know why you've gone there. Surely there are, I can give you a stack of Bible verses that would make more sense than that one. Now, the Sadducees were those who only held to the first five books of the Old Testament. They were their scriptures. And so as a result, what Jesus is doing is he's saying, okay, I will meet you where you are. And if you only hold those, we'll, we'll go there. So he goes to Exodus, the second of the first five books. And he is saying to them, what God is saying when he says, I'm the God of, the, of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, those three were dead by that point. And the point he is making is, I still count them as alive. I still consider them living. But what Jesus is doing in that, in a sense, is he's saying, look, okay, the very, the very few scriptures that you do believe, let's go there, and I think they will point you to the resurrection. So given that, I guess, the scriptures, you might say, are even less kind of valuable these days or considered to be less valuable these days. Um, Jesus is saying, look, can you hear the whispers of this in what you yourself believe to be true? So if you don't, if you don't believe the Bible, maybe you'll believe Black Panther. No, I'm not suggesting they're the same thing. Um, but do you see what I'm saying? The stories that we tell one another, we are people of stories. We are people who, even within the stories that we, we narrate of ourselves, even within the films that we create, the plays that we put on, the, the, the novels that we write, the art that we produce, we are, we are telling this story that there is more than just this life. Because we yearn for it. We thirst for it. And if you think about it for a moment, you might say, well, why don't we all just kind of resign ourselves to the realities? Why do we keep telling stories that greater things may come out of what we, we face at the moment? Why do we do that? Because that eternity, that next world, 
is still in our bloodstream. Those are Jesus' answers. In the response to this slightly kind of snide parable, something better is coming. Hear the whispers of it. Can you, can you see it in, in, the, in the work that you do that somehow doesn't just imagine that this world is, that is, is all that there is? In the family you seek to raise or be a part of? Two things I want us to take away from this then. Um, Jesus and his hearers, if you, to be fair to them, Matthew is kind of presenting Jesus, talking to these hearers. And at this point... They really, they've, they've not got masses to go on in terms of the resurrection. They, there are sketch outlines in the Old Testament. It, would, it takes some skill to thread some of those together and come up with what we know. It's not until you have the bodily resurrection of Jesus, which we will celebrate at Easter, where suddenly everybody kind of goes, aha, that's what you meant. And then from there, the New Testament starts to put that together. So to be fair to them, but we are those who have the resurrection of Jesus, and the teaching of the apostles about it. And we have a much greater uh, kind of picture. And two things I want you to take away. One is this, I guess, that Jesus has something better for you and for me. And that this world isn't everything. And I think that's really important for... It's really important for, for married people to hear and for single people to hear. Jesus has something better for you, and this world isn't everything. For those who find marriage very hard in doing marriage preparation with folks, I do try and make sure they know that marriage is hard and will be. For those who are single and find that hard... To know that Jesus has something better for you and for me, and that this world isn't everything. It is a perspective thing. And I think it's important for us to grasp, for our young people, our pathfinders who are in, you guys are at the beginning of, of much of the unfolding of your lives, whether it's the careers that you will choose, whether you are thinking, well, one day perhaps I will get married and I will have children, Jesus has something better that goes beyond that, that this world isn't everything. It can be very, very important to have that perspective. But then, secondly, invest in this world. Because now is its time. Do you know, there is something about the Sadducees. The Sadducees, I guess what marks them out is a kind of cynicism. There is a cynicism they have about the world. So they come to Jesus with this story, and, you know, because of the deaths of uh, these men, there's a kind of cynicism. Of course, the next world can't be that good. And really, Jesus, we don't hold to you much. Do you see there's a kind of world-weary cynicism? Do you know the gospel and the resurrection can free us from that? Do you know it frees us from needing to be cynical? And if we are freed from being cynical about this world, actually it frees us to invest in it, to pour ourselves into the relationships that we do have. For you to to give into the marriage relationship you're in. To pour yourselves as a marriage into the single people you know. For single people to pour themselves into the marriages that they know. Because actually we're freed from the cynicism that says that this is all there is and it's awful. 
There is something much better, but that frees us to invest in now. This is C.S. Lewis writing on this subject. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. If you can have that perspective on the resurrection, if you can know that there is something better coming, it frees you from cynicism and it allows you to invest in the relationships that you have here at families, in your work, actually to pour yourselves because you know you, you have a framework, you have a greater story of where you fit and where you are going. I think it is worth reflecting on those. If Jesus were coming out of the cinema with me, um, I think he would have said, having watched that film, yes, Wakanda forever. We're going to pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray. We are often heads down and world-weary. Help us to raise our eyes to see where you are taking us, however hard it is to picture that. I pray we would sense that resurrection life, and I pray it would free us from cynicism. It would free us to give of ourselves here and now, because we know where we are going. Amen. Something far better is coming. What a great, what a great thing.